Hi, and welcome to Safe Space. I am your host, the Artistic Psychologist. This month's topic is bullying, and today we have a listener on the show. They would like to be anonymous, so I won't be mentioning their name. I am grateful and honored that they agreed to share their story with us on this podcast because sharing our experiences isn't always the easiest thing to do, especially when they are negative experiences. It takes a lot of bravery to do so. My guest today is quite young, and that they are able to dive into this is encouraging. Usually, many of us wait until we are much older to start confronting our traumas, and that's okay. But we can do so much more when we create room for people to start doing this work when they are younger. So, let's get into it. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for welcoming me. I'm excited to be here and also a bit nervous. Okay. Yeah. That's fine. I'm excited to have you here too and it's okay to be nervous. Um, We'll try and make you as comfortable as possible. Thank you. So, when did um, this bullying happen? How old were you? I was in class three. How old was I then? I was seven in class one, eight in class two, nine in class three. Yeah. Yeah, so I was nine. And at that time, I never thought much about it. But it was in class four that I started thinking, wow, this isn't normal. Yeah. Okay. Could you narrate to us the incidences of bullying that you were put through? I felt like, well, it wasn't physical, like, you know, being pushed or being beaten. And uh, it was more mind games. And I don't know. Then when I think about it, I'm amazed that people that young could do things like, you, you feel like you're going mad because, okay, so I was not to show off or anything, but I am, I'm doing well in school. I always have, so I always found study not so difficult and it never used to be that big of a deal, you know, we just go about our lives. But then in class three, there was a big change at home, stuff happened, uh, my parents became more known essentially, and then I think my classmates' parents started talking about mine and me as, you know, one of the students was passing in class. And so there's this thing parents do well. They'll, not mine, but they'll talk to their children and be like, you know, why can't you be like so-and-so? You know, you play with them at lunchtime. You play with them on the field. You talk with them all the time. But when it comes to exam time, they're always ahead of you. They're doing better than you. Why can't you be like them? And I think it reaches a point for children where they're like, you know, they don't know it, but they need to take out those feelings. Like, you know, my parents resent me because of you. So I'll take out those feelings on you. And essentially that's what happened. So we're all human. We make mistakes. But at some point it felt like I was walking on eggshells because... I wasn't allowed to make mistakes. Not that I wasn't allowed to, but whenever I made a mistake, it was the worst thing on earth. People would all be gasping at me. And as I said, in class three, I wasn't thinking much about it. But by class four, I felt so scared to participate in class because, you know, the moment I make a slip up, okay, 
my contributions aren't acknowledged, but my mistakes are focused on and it's like they're squinting at me holding a man a magnifying <laughs> a magnifying glass. And you know, I used to confront them, actively confront them about it. I'm asking, you know, it's human to make mistakes. Why are you acting this way towards me? And then they'd say, Oh, we're not really doing anything. And then I'd start doubting myself. Like, am I the one who has an issue? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what used to happen. Mm. And then once I got very angry and then I berated one of them and I didn't let them get a word in. I just told them, you know, like, stop. Just leave me alone. I don't care if you make me feel bad, you know. Mm. Like, I'll avoid you, yes, but can you avoid me too? Because it takes both of us. And I felt better yeah. afterwards. And then in class five, <laughs> oh, in class five, it wasn't many people. It was just one person. It was my deskmate. Sorry to interrupt you. Yes. So these were incidences that were going on from class three all the way till you were in class five, still continuing. Yeah, still continuing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now in class four, They'd stopped those bullies then. They'd stopped, like, they'd left me alone, I think. Or just to speak on the authority that was present in class four at the time, I felt like I was so helpless. And I think that became a bigger issue for me in class five. But I felt like my teachers were seeing me being bullied and they really weren't helping me. Mm. And sometimes I'd ask them, not outside, you know, tell them that, person X or so-and-so is bullying me or I just ask them please move me away from this sitting position mm-hmm. like just get me out of there I think I'll be okay from there but the teachers wouldn't listen and I'd reach home so angry and I'd be so angry I'm really amazed at how much anger was how much anger I used to feel at that time and I'd cry at home and I don't think anyone knew what to do because I wasn't telling anyone what was wrong. Mm. So it was just, there was a lot going yeah. on in the situation. But then I think in class five is when I felt most helpless because, so see, there was now instead of a group of people, it's just one person, my deskmate. But the way sitting arrangements worked, instead of actually having desks joined, your deskmates would be the people sitting around you. So now this person used to sit in front of me and I tried to start off on the right foot with them. I'd never interacted with them before, surprisingly. They've been with me since class one. So uh, it's my first time meeting them. I'm like, you know, okay, this is someone new. I don't know them. Let's get to know them. But then they just used to push me around. They used to call me names. And I tell them, you know, I'm not comfortable with any of these names. Could you please just call me by any of my given names, really? Uh, nicknames are an intimate thing. And I find that unless you are close enough, I'm not comfortable with you calling me a nickname. Because it's a sign that we built a bond. It's a sign of our bond. And we hadn't reached there yet, but they kept insisting. Oh, this, oh, that. And I get so annoyed at them. They'd also take my things from my desk, like I'm just sitting there doing my work or doing nothing in particular, but they just turn around and 
they'd chokora my desk for a bit and then they take things chokora for anyone who doesn't understand Kiswahili <laughs> chokora means they're going through just going the through your things yeah usually without permission yeah. and without purpose what yeah. are you doing just going through the, the things for whatever reason mm-hmm. so then they take they take things from the desk and they be so troubled someone will ask them to return them like and i noted that they wouldn't just take anything they take something they knew i needed or was using at that moment so if it was my razor they take it and then i'm like please i'm using my razor could you please return it but they insisting no 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 and it was such a waste of time but i felt so frustrated because i'm trying my hardest to be kind and not to you know come off as aggressive when i'm asking for my things back or asking to be called by my given names yeah but the person is just pushing back all the time and by that time i was of course i was still asking myself am i the problem here like yeah. is it me that's the problem mm-hmm. but i think i reached the conclusion sooner that it's not me who's the problem here yeah and then instead of talking to them because they weren't being responsive i simply stopped engaging because by that point i had asked my teacher multiple times please just move me to the front or mm. just move me away from there because and some of these people would be so excited by the prospect of sitting next to this person because they were very popular mm. and you know i was asking myself that's another thing the fact that they were popular made me think you know they already so well liked by the class what's stopping me from liking them yeah. and it came back to the rhetoric of is it me that's the problem I just like to before you continue I feel something you said a couple of minutes ago which I think is important to note is we talk about gaslighting a lot and it's something that people think only happens in relationships because we often talk about it in romantic relationships um you know where somebody is manipulating you and making you feel like you're the problem when they're the ones who who are the problem and just like you said these people would push you around um do some things that would rightly make you upset upset and you know and and feel powerless but then anytime you'd bring it up they're telling you no no we're not doing anything yeah. anything wrong and of course now just like you said that starts putting doubt in your mind so you start asking yourself like am i the problem am i the problem you know and i think especially just because like the way you said the teachers were not doing anything people in power are not doing anything so of course that helps to fuel the questions again like am i the problem if this is a problem and i'm thinking it's a problem but when i'm bringing it to the person who has the power to help me they seem not to be taking it seriously or to them maybe it's an an issue then you know everybody else around me is acting as if there There's is no problem wrong. yes exactly so of course you start asking yourself okay maybe i'm the problem you know and that's a really unfortunate place to be in because then whoever the abuser is they have more opportunity to abuse you more because even you now start losing that ability to tell them like you know stop because you're starting to think you know maybe I'm the problem. Maybe I actually deserve this or maybe I'm in the wrong. Exactly. Maybe, the maybe right. there's something yeah, so there's no point of me saying anything. And then like you said, you know, you start doubting yourself to the point of the doubt spills over not just from 
now it won't be just that situation where you're like, you know, I'm being bullied, but I'm not sure if you know these people are bullying me, or maybe it's something that I deserve and I'm done doing something wrong. And it spills over to other aspects of your life. So everything you do, well, before you are confident, now you start doubting yourself. You're like, am I really good at, you know, whatever subject it is? And because now you're a child, you know, like, it just, it can completely spill over into everything. You just become, yeah, yeah 100% doubtful of, of everything that you do. Mm-hmm. And then one day I got very angry with the person. I'm thankful I did not resort to violence. Mm -hmm. I did, however, take the rubber from their desk and hold it and tell them, you know, you're always taking my rubber. Let's see how it feels. When you need your rubber and I have it in hand. It wasn't the best of moments. I look back and I'm embarrassed, but... So I took the, the rubber and I had it in hand. And, you know, they were looking very distraught and... I felt bad. I felt really, really bad for doing it. Mm. And I gave it back. And then they started telling me, you've ruined my rubber. And I'm looking at the rubber and I'm thinking, this, I haven't done anything to this rubber. So now they're hounding me for the whole day. You know, get me a new rubber. Where's my new rubber? So you give me your rubber and take this one that you've ruined. And I was so confused. And I felt so miserable for the best, the better part of that day. Then I got help from someone I never thought I'd get help from, a classmate. We weren't particularly friends. We knew each other. We were classmates. Yeah. And we were strange, but essentially, back then we called them a lawyer. <laughs> so they were my lawyer. And they told this person, they haven't done anything wrong to Eriza. So I don't know why you're causing such a big issue, especially since you're the one who's always disturbing mm. this person. Anyway, uh, the person left me alone. And then after that, I felt much better to know that someone who I hadn't had a relationship with prior, like yeah. not really a friendship. Like I know you and you know me, but mm. it's not really a friendship or anything. Our classmates, that they had come to my aid. Yeah. And your other classmates, because you said these incidences used to happen in class. Yeah. And these are things your classmates would see. These are things my classmates would see. And would they say do anything, anything? Do anything? Did one of my deskmates, yes, they'd act as if it was a joke and say, you know, they'd laugh and say, give them back the razor, give the razor back, give the razor back, give the pencil back, give the books back. And it's nice that. You are telling the bully, you know, give the things back to this person. But it also feels like it's a joke mm. because you're laughing. Yeah. Maybe this is a joke that I'm not in on. Yeah. And, you know, the unfortunate thing is um, sometimes we're going through something and people around us can see and they're not doing anything, which is, it's very hurtful, very upsetting. Um but usually for many people in certain situations it's a matter of you're looking at, at this situation and you're thinking you know maybe if i say something i'll be the next target exactly that's something i had wanted to talk about mm. i had friends at that point in time class one and two i was getting a feel for people like everyone else but by class three i had my first friend and that person is still my friend to this day and 
I can't explain how much I love them, but you know. Mm-hmm. And they were also going through like a lot of trouble, especially because one of our mutual friends actually was not the greatest of people. Like, should I talk? Okay, I don't really need to delve into it, but okay, just you say can it if you if you'd like to. We used to <laughs> we used to play wrestle, mm-hmm. like not actively wrestling, wrestling but like you throw someone because it was when the dress had been mod. That's the word. Yeah. <laughs> they had cut the grass. Yes. And then we'd pile up a lot of the cut grass mm-hmm. on the field behind one of the football posts. And then uh, now that's where we play. We take off our shoes and our sweaters and stuff that could, you know, stuff that you're wearing that could hurt the other person mm-hmm. as you're playing. And then we'd push each other around, fall each other gently, like you're not aiming to hurt someone you're aiming to imitate what you'd seen on TV, maybe wrestling and I noticed that this person used to be more violent with my friend and like they'd always laugh it off whenever we're like, you, that was unnecessary Mm. you know, you didn't need to push this person so hard, you didn't need to fall them so hard, you didn't need to hit their stomach mm. at all. And then I think that's one of the reasons that my friend didn't feel like comfortable confronting the people who are bullying me. Mm. Because one the ones in class four were bullying both of us and then the one in class five it's the feeling of, as you said, if I speak up, mm. I'll become the next victim. Mm. And, you know, they might come for me with, like, a vendetta because how dare you speak up against me? Yeah. Yeah. And your friend, you said in class four you were both being bullied. Yeah. Were they being bullied just for in association with, with you? Me. Or did they, was it also the same situation? No, less of in association with me and more of they're bu- being bullied for not being uh, up to certain standards that those students held. Mm. It's like, you know, you don't like football. You mm. prefer going to draw at lunchtime. So you're different. Yeah, you mm. prefer playing hide and seek. Yeah. Stuff like that. Like... How are you here if you're not going to play with us at lunchtime? Mm. So if... Like, of course, they were socially interacting with their classmates. You know, there's no way to ever fully avoid that. And they were amicable. But... And I noticed that that instance is when they started shutting down towards people they weren't familiar with. Like... Mm. You know, I don't want to ever be in that position again. Yeah. Anyway, so the funny story is once I dealt with this bully from class five, we became friends in class six. Mm-hmm. 
of course I still looked at the things they were doing and now that I was aware of the things they did that were bullying mm. I'd always be like why are you treating this person like this why are you treating this person like this when you were younger when yes. you began were you aware were you able to articulate that this is bullying or at what point did I realize you, yeah did you begin to realize like you know this is this is bullying because I imagine when you're a child you some, wouldn't you, have the words for it exactly and yeah. possibly you're aware that something is wrong but you don't really know what exactly the problem is so at what point did you realize like you know this is bullying uh, class 3 to 5 I just used to think there's something so wrong about this Mm. Like, is this normal? I'd always ask myself questions. Is it normal for people to be treating other people like this? Mm. But then, uh, it was by class 7 that now I had talked to people at home. And then, like, I had opened up more about the anger I had had back then. And, you know, I found help because now I was finding the right words to refer to things as it's much easier to identify an issue when you can name it and to deal with it because I have a name for it, I have a face for it, I have actions I can associate with it. It makes it much easier to identify and isolate and deal with it. So it was by class 7 that I was thinking back and thinking you know, this was bullying and portrayal of bullying in medias didn't really help because mm. it always said bullying is violent, yeah, beating up. bullying is you being beaten, mm. bullying is you being called like names yeah. or you being pushed around mm. being blatantly ignored by the people around you but I think more often than not, it's more little things, mm -hmm. and you'll it can make you feel like you're going mad, yeah, yeah, just exactly it. And for as much as yes, bullying can be violence, you yes, know, many times it's not, it's not violent, it's you know, those comments that you're saying, um, people pushing you around and then making you feel like you're the problem and there's nothing wrong. Just picking on you again and again, that's also bullying. But like you said, many times, all we know is the violent, you know, people... The um, violent sort of bullying. Exactly, being pushed into lockers. In fact, I think more often than not, what we have in the media is a lot of our Western view of what bullying is. And because of that, now since that's what people know, anything else then can't possibly be bullying. bullying. Yeah, and I think another problem is sometimes we view things and we think to ourselves you know for as long as it's not violent and somebody is is not hurt like physically then it is harmful you know i mean harmless sorry yeah. it's, harmful. it's harmless you know so it's not such a big deal and that's a dangerous view that's a dangerous have. view to have yeah because then it's easy for you to just dismiss somebody's experience yeah you become insensitive to some degree exactly and i think I think one thing I'll mention is that a lot of the bullying that would happen is from boys 
and I think another view we have is that, you know, for boys, they tend to be violent. And then we'll say that, you know, girls will tend to do more of the verbal bullying or the isolating or whatever. But clearly from this story, we can tell that boys also do the same and can do the same. It, it doesn't always have to be violence. Um, but because we have this perception that, you know, the only way boys bully or can bully or it's the only type fighting. of bullying that is, you know, worth looking at is when boys fight, then it's easy for us to dismiss when someone is coming and telling you, you know, someone is calling me names or taking my things and, you know, not giving them back even when I'm asking for them or just making my life hard in school, even if it's not violent. Um, but because we have these assumptions, it's easy to dismiss all of that okay that's a lot um i mean i'm glad by the time you got to class seven you were able to articulate and understand exactly what was going on mm-hmm. i want to go back to the fact that you said that um that you are doing well in school and you know of course now sometimes i guess parents do this thing where you start comparing your kid to another kid you know yeah. what i'm talking about now you're not seeing the positives in your kid, but you're starting to compare them to other and asking them, why are you not like this? Yeah. And the thing about bullying is that... Um, it always stems from somewhere. It does, but the thing is also that because you feel powerless in one situation, sometimes now you go to another situation where you, you feel, feel like powerful. you have the power yeah. and you abuse that power, right? Which is what I believe these kids were doing. I wonder if you had any direct interaction with the parents where you also realized these parents are a bit of a problem or was it only through the kids and then maybe later on some things that you had that you realized that the parents were probably part of the problem in all of this situation so uh before i talk about this i'd like to add on to one of the things you said about bullying with boys because people think of boy bully as violent fighting fists when it's mental abuse it tends to be harder to identify and it's the one that really destroys like that's where boys really is destroy each other because with the fighting thing you know people are so ready to they're ready to respond but it's so far out of their minds that you know a boy could say something mean to another boy and that would be bullying or a boy could just not fight someone but make their life so difficult mm-hmm. in other ways. That's why it's it's really, really important for anybody who's listening, anytime we're, we're teaching kids or anybody really about things like bullying, we have to try our best to make it as wholesome as possible so that no matter how it presents itself, somebody is able to identify like hey this is not right this is bullying just like my wonderful guest had said you know we have to be able to to help the children have the vocabulary to articulate what is going on so from a very young age it's very possible to break these things down that somebody will be able to name it as bullying you know they'll be able to identify they know these incidences are bullying it has a face and they can understand it and that way they can come back to you and tell you you know I feel like I'm being bullied and they can tell you this and this and this is happening. And of course, on top of all that, we have to make sure we're creating safe spaces where somebody can come and, and just talk. talk and honestly say, you know, I feel scared. I feel sad. I feel angry. I and feel it's because, Exactly. I feel 
unseen because I'm saying this and nobody's listening to me. Mm-hmm. But it's really important for us to give a wholesome um, explanation of what bullying is so that somebody just really understands and we're able to stop it. And that's also important because, you know, even I'm sure, I'm certain, not to excuse what the bullies were doing, but, you know, they're children. And I'm certain from the time at that age, they probably didn't even think that what they were doing was wrong. wrong. So maybe at home or whatever you're being told, don't hit somebody else, you know, that's wrong. Don't be violent, that's wrong. So maybe to you, you tell yourself, you know, I'm not hitting someone. So if I abuse them, or if I tease them every day, that's not really wrong. No, because yeah. nobody has Told really talked about wrong. that. Exactly. Or you're seeing that when somebody is reporting this, it's being dismissed again and again. So to you, you're just like, you know, it, it probably is it not true? a problem. Yeah. yeah. So it's very important for us to address it in a, very, in a wholesome way so that it's better understood. Now back to your question about whether I'd interacted with their parents or not. Okay. When I was young, I thought the issue is these students themselves, and I don't know why they have a problem with me. But as I grew older and continued interacting with them, because while I could limit interaction, there was no way to not interact with them unless they moved to a different school. But the more I talked with them and the more I watched them interact with other people, I realized, you know, this can't just have come from nowhere. Because, okay, already before, I don't know how to explain this, but okay, there's one person in particular who comes to mind when I think about parents and comparing their child to another person's child or a child to their own sibling. So, this one person, once I was waiting to go home, and then I saw them standing, like, with their mother. And I wasn't actively trying to listen to what they were talking about. But it seemed to be a discussion on grades. And they're like, what's wrong? And not in a, can I help you sort of way. In a, why aren't you being like other people? Like, if you're saying that there's a problem, but it's not that you want to help me identify and deal with the problem. You're saying that the problem is that I'm not being like someone else. And now, you know, I'm asking myself, who else can I be? Mm. And you're leaving me feeling so powerless because you're my parent and you want me to be more like someone else than, you know, myself. And usually a child will seek acceptance first from their parents Mm. and the first thing I think a child will understand from why aren't you like so and so is you know I'm not accepting you as you are Mm. and that's so hurtful it hurts really deep and it's uh, I think I've spoken about this on the podcast before in a previous episode but you know it's a very hurtful thing when a child realizes that their parent or their caregiver has conditional positive regard for them yeah ideally a parent or your caregiver should have unconditional positive regard for you 
And this means that even if, let's say, that my parent will love and appreciate me even if my grades are not what they think um, it should be, or maybe I don't pick the career that they think I should be in, or I'm not studying what they think I should be studying, you know. Or maybe even if I do something wrong, their love for me is not determined by those other factors, you know. Mm -hmm. It's going to be steady and shown 100% even though I will disappoint them or not do what they want or, you know, mess up every now and then. But the problem is that many times a parent or a caregiver shows their child conditional positive regard. So then a child starts associating, like, you know, I'm only loved if I get an A. I'm only loved if I go and do medicine. So instead of somebody um, growing up to try and be their best selves and fully themselves, you're just chasing you this positive, exactly, this positive regard. And you know, the only way to get it is by complying to some of the things that they want you to do. Yeah. So, yeah, that's something we really, really need to think about. And beyond now this student and that one interaction I saw between the student and their mother, because, okay, that one is what opened my eyes. And I noticed that people would start cracking these sort of not jokes that's in quotes for my listeners. My listeners, no. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. For... They're now your listeners too. <laughs> okay. That was in heavy quotes, not jokes. Because whenever reports from season would come around, okay, I'm now a secondary student and I'm much more aware of this. Like, I can see this much more. But whenever exam season and report form season would come around, the students would start cracking jokes like, you know, it's time for me to start preparing to move out or whatever. And you'll think, ha, ha, wow, how funny, you know, the comedian of the season making me laugh. <laughs> but then jokes never come from a place of complete dissociation. Mm. This is obviously a thing they've thought about. Yeah. Whether subconsciously, consciously, actively, yeah. they've thought about if my grades are not up to par. I could be kicked out. I could out. be kicked out. I could have to move out of that house. Yeah. And joking is a way of coping, by the way. Yeah. Joking, making light of something. You know, when something is very heavy and you're having a problem processing it or dealing with it, sometimes you just turn to making it a joke. Yeah. Yeah. And also, exam seasons are just not good times for for many reasons. But that's not so relevant to this discussion, <laughs> is it? Okay, then. We that's a whole other discussion, discussion about that, exams. hopefully. Yeah. Because, yeah. Definitely. So, in what way did this bullying affect other areas of your life? You already talked about how you started doubting yourself. Yeah. Let's say, and you wouldn't maybe contribute in class or something. Is there anything else that happened? Like, any changes? Okay, one, I became very snappy and short-tempered with certain people mm. because it became less of a thing of, you know, I'm angry at you for... Okay, the surface you'll see is I'm angry at you for what you've done or what you're doing or what you did. But then um, I think back and and then I look at myself then and I'm like, that was me saying... I don't want you to, to give you the time to hurt me again. Mm -hmm. Like, 
if I get in the first and last word, if I get this done with as soon as possible, you'll just leave. Like if I actively push away and do things I know will push away, then you won't really get the opportunity to hurt me. I mean, it wasn't good to be in a perpetual state of anger. That was terrible. And there were better ways to handle those situations. I didn't know that back then. Yeah, of course you didn't. You were were quite young and it's understandable. When you have all those pent-up emotions and you you have, first of all, trying to understand them and then there's really no way to release them. No, of course, you're going to snap and be angry. Yeah, and it's still... Everything is a work in progress. You're constantly learning. You won't encounter one instance of, you know, bullying and say, now I'm definitely an expert at dealing with bullying. Mm. I won't ever get hurt by it again. In fact, that mindset is more likely to lead you into more hurtful situations. Yeah. And that was one of the effects, but an effect from that is that um, I still have a lot of anger, mm. less than then, but I still feel so angry sometimes, like inexplicably sometimes, that some things will spark that anger. This person did this to me and they're looking like nothing happened, and that happens. Uh, you know, bullies tend to forget that they ever exerted power over you in an unfair way Mm. and you're the only one left remembering sometimes and you're thinking this is so unfair I'm the one who got to experience this and you're the one who gets to forget first Mm. yeah then it's easy to it's easy to think of it and say rationally you know this isn't fair on me or on the bully but then when it comes down to the actual emotions, it's so hard. It's so hard. It's very difficult. Yeah. Um, another one I can say is I lost confidence in a lot of things, but surprisingly not in my studies. Mm-hmm. Um, I stopped swimming. That's one of the things I stopped doing because I used to swim. And I stopped... I'd occasionally play football with them at lunchtime, but I stopped doing that. And uh, speaking of that, I'll discuss a bit later. But <laughs> So I stopped playing football with them and turned to hide-and-seek full-time. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. My studies never dropped. And I think about it and I still don't have a like a conclusion a concrete conclusion but I think that at some point I reached a place where I was like this is the only thing I have and I'm going to hold on to it mm. yeah and mm. it's not it's not a good thing to tie your validation to but mm. like those grades were what gave me my comfort for the longest time knowing that I will pass that SST exam it was like a hug from I don't know where but it was a comfort and yeah it was a short term comfort and 
when you'd go extended periods without having that heat of I've passed, just feel irritable. Mm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I I don't know. Studies were and still are a special thing for me. Mm. I think I have a healthier view on them now because they're not the end all of my whole life and they're not where I seek my comfort from now. But, you know, I can't believe that I've ever reached a point where I said studies are what are going to hold me and keep me from crying. Because yeah. I felt like I had nothing else. Mm. And then that's another thing. The feeling that there's nowhere else to turn to accept what I know. Because I had people very willing to listen to me and to support me and they would be very understanding of my problems because, you know, my family was a support system but I was pushing them away Mm. and this is also another effect. I already said, I mentioned it before that the bullying was because parents were like these parents of this child have done thing X and you know now they are being noticed there in the spotlight and for the longest time I always associated my bullying with my parents like if I wasn't blaming myself I'd be blaming my parents like it's your fault that I'm being bullied and even back then I knew that it wasn't a very rational thing to do because sometimes I feel like bringing it up but it would be like that's complete madness. It's not even their fault. They don't even know what's happening because I haven't told them. But when I opened up, it helped because no one was at fault. I wasn't at fault. My parents weren't at fault. And I think that was a moment of relief for me because it's like, wow, it feels nice to know that (laughs) it's not my fault that I'm experiencing this. I don't know if anything else. I mean, now, sometimes the same tactic of bullying crops up again. For the listeners, (laughs) I am now a secondary student, Mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons. I guess I've grown more comfortable discussing this issue as I've grown up because in secondary, you're dealing with more students Teachers expect you to be, they expect you to be adults, but treat you like children, which is so <laughs> odd. <laughs> it's like... Now we do that to adolescents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they do it in the most significantly lacking ways. Mm. Like, you expect me to deal with bullies. Okay, adults get bullied, so I don't understand that. But you associate the adult part of adolescent with being able to deal with bullies and stuff. And then the child part is, I need to control your studies Mm. and stuff. I see, like, people getting bullied in my class. I'd say my stream is better than the other stream. Oh, the other stream. Anyway, uh, but I guess bullying crops up again and again. It never goes away. But if you can do anything to break the cycle by choosing not to, 
you know, once power has been exerted over you, you feel like the only way to come to terms with the feeling of being powerless is to exert power over other people yourself. It's stronger in some people than others, but that's how a cycle starts. Because you can imagine, if this is how I felt and how I feel like expressing it, when I exert power over someone else, they'll probably go through the same cycle of emotions. And it doesn't mean bottle up your feelings. It just means find a way to work through what you felt at that time without having it be expressed in the same way that the bullies did it to you. So, yes, there's still bullying in my class, but I guess I could care less now because it's the same old tactics of, oh, you know, you are wrong about answering this question, gasping, faces of exaggerated and very false shock. And sometimes from certain people, you'll still feel a pinch or like, wow, that hooked me somewhere. And it's not only somewhere you'll reach, not caring about bullies, but I guess I've reached there right now. Like, I could care less. I'm doing what I'm doing. And I feel so happy right now because I feel like I've reached a point of genuine self-expression. Now I'm not scared that, you know, this is a weakness my bullies can exploit. It's still a fear because of it will always be a fear because I've experienced bullying before. Like, I know how that feels. And it's like getting nervous before diving into a pool. Mm. But then you dive in and you enjoy it anyway. Of course, there'll still be. I'm cold and, you know, I'm going to have to come out and it's going to be cold outside. But there's so much more to enjoy about being yourself. When you reach, there's a certain stage you reach where it's like, the pros of genuinely being yourself far outweigh the cons and you'll need a safe space to start cultivating that behavior. You'll never be able to fully realize it if you constantly feel you're in a place where you're very unsafe and you can't ever be fully vulnerable. Yeah. Very well said. Um... So finally, uh-huh. if you could share with us, do you feel you have any safe spaces and what are they? My first safe space, even then, when I was being very angry and bottling up my feelings, was my family. Because even when I come home so angry and, you know, people are going through stresses of their own because some of them were doing their finals that year, I felt like they're still so patient with me. They're still waiting for me to open up on my own. And I appreciate that I wasn't pushed to open up. They waited for me to talk about it. I'm sure that mom must have known what was happening in school. Mom really amazes me, is all I'll say on the matter. But my family was my first safe space. My second safe space was my best friend. This one is a strange one because while she's still a safe space today, it was more a matter of 
were both going through bullying and there's solidarity in I know that you're well it's not exactly the same thing I know that you're going through a situation that's similar to what I'm going through and it was it was nice having him there it's I don't know if it was a matter of I don't know what it was but it was nice having someone who was experiencing who was going through it with me mm-hmm. yeah it's just community the fact that you're not alone yeah really mm-hmm. and then <laughs> the third safe space and while I'll say family is important and the people around you are important but you need to okay my third safe space was my mind myself like you need to find safety in yourself. You need to be able to be honest with yourself. Mm. You need to be able to... Okay, so not everyone does this, but I have segmented my consciousness and there's different names to the different parts of it, but I guess it started around class four under all the stress. Like I needed to be able to talk to myself without it being the same me that's in quotes same me so sometimes I'd just sit somewhere quiet and I wouldn't talk but it would be like a meditation it would be person A in my mind how do you feel person B you know I'm being honest with myself about how I feel and when you're honest about those things with yourself it becomes much easier to identify when things are going wrong it's like okay, so how do you feel? I feel miserable. And why do you feel miserable? Like, what has happened throughout the day that's made you feel miserable? And then I start listing off things and then I see some things are really insignificant in the grand scheme of things, but there's other things that made me feel miserable in the first place. And that's why those insignificant things also made me feel miserable. And then the third question would be, what are you going to do about it? But I never really reached that far because I didn't know what to do about it. Mm. Yeah, I felt like, you know, talk to the people in authority, but we all know how well that went. <laughs> uh, talk to your friend, which I always did. Like, I reached a point where I was more worried for him than I was for me. Mm. And then I eventually reached talk to your family and yeah yeah, that was hard I don't know why but it was so hard to eventually reach the place where I just opened up and talked about it like full on it is important for us to wholesomely understand issues to the best of our knowledge in this way we're able to prevent them from happening and recognize them in all their shapes and forms I hope our guest story has helped you reflect on the various ways bullying can present itself and the effects bullying can have on an individual. Let us try our best to choose kindness every moment of each day. Sometimes it isn't the easiest thing to do, but it is possible and it's a great step towards healing ourselves and our society. Thank you for tuning in. You can reach out to me on Instagram and on Facebook. My handle is at the artistic psychologist. That is all one word. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating and a review. It will help the podcast be more recognized. I hope to see you next time. Bye.